All right, well, good morning again, and good morning on this Memorial Day weekend. And often uh, Memorial Day weekend associated with family get-togethers and barbecues. And you know, when growing up in northern Maine, it was always the, the weekend my mother let me go swimming. I don't know why. But obviously, uh, and I, I don't do that anymore on Memorial Day weekend, all right? especially the, there was ice in that lake about two weeks ago. <laughs> Um, but it is also, and the intended purpose of Memorial Day weekend, obviously, is to remember those who have served and sacrificed to uh, ensure our freedoms. And I always count it a great privilege to be able to stand here on Sunday morning in relative uh, freedom that we have, that we've enjoyed. And I've enjoyed it all my whole life, living here, at least in the United States, in the times I've lived here. And I have very much appreciated those, those freedoms that are granted us, and we don't want to forget that, and that we have such a blessing to be able to just gather here today, proclaim the Word of God freely, to sing songs freely, and really that is why our country was initially founded. It was based on freedom, and uh, there's a lot more that could be said about that, but that's not the direction of my message so much this morning, as remembering, remembering. It's good to stop and remember every now and again. And just pause and look around and to reflect on where we've been. Life comes at us rather quickly, doesn't it? I remember just a few years ago when we were living in Canada, uh, my son Ben was only, and he's not here today so I can talk about him, but he's downstate with his brother. But um, he was only about four years old, maybe three years old, and uh, we were out walking in the Victoria Corner Cemetery. And walking down through there and that a number of graves that uh, date back to the early 1800s all the way up to the present or close to the present. And we were walking along and, and that walk through the graveyard spurred a long discussion with a four-year-old boy about life and about death. And I remember having that just that serious discussion with him. And I think it was the first time in his life that it really dawned on him that, that we die. That's our destiny in this earth, we die. Because the Bible says, in Adam, all men die, all right? And a, a, a cemetery is a great leveler of those things. It just brings it to reality as we walk through and look at the graves and, and, and that reality that death is among us. But death is not the end, all right? And death is not the uh, end of hope for the, for the believer. We have a life beyond death. But throughout the scriptures, we find all kinds of instances where the Lord told his people to remember, to look back. And I always found that hard because I'm, I'm one, I don't like to necessarily stop and look back sometimes. And, you know, I, I'd rather just plow ahead and look ahead and all that. But God stops us sometimes and says, look back and remember. And such a verse as this found in Deuteronomy. And by the way, the book of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy comes from the Hebrew word meaning to uh, to say again or to remember. It's actually a book of remembrance. And it is a repetition of what God gave his people. And then, you know, when he gave the Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, right, Numbers, he comes to Deuteronomy and it's a book that reflects on the previous things he said and the important events and the important things. So it's a book of remembrance. And I want to begin reading with a verse, and we're going to have a number of verses today. The first one's from Deuteronomy 32.7. It 
And it's to bring to remembrance. It says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. One of my favorite memories growing up was sitting down around the table sometimes or down around a campfire somewhere and listening to stories of veterans. Some of them didn't open up very much unless you got them to open up a little bit. And I remember my grandfathers and my grandmother also, who's a veteran. She's still alive. She's a World War II veteran. And um, uh, several of my neighbors and some Vietnam War veterans that I had uh, very much were, were close. They were working with my dad. And I remember uh, listening to some of the stories they had and remembering back through their experiences and doing that. And the Bible tells us to do that with the generations of faith. You know, it's important that you pass on your faith to the generation that's coming up behind you. You see, if you fail to do that, even one generation, it is so quickly forgotten. I mean, the reality is that is the truth about most people. In a couple, three generations from now, four generations probably, most of your ancestors, or uh, not ancestors, excuse me, descendants, uh, going that direction, they won't even remember where you're buried if you're here, all right? We might be raptured out of this place before that. I don't know. That would be a one way to escape it. But you know what? Uh, I, I, I know a few of my great-grandfathers where they're you know, buried, but I have a hard time. I'd have to go really search for their graves. I know which cemeteries they're in, stuff like that. I have one ancestor who's buried in the church uh, cemetery at St. David, and uh, I can see that Narcisse Dufour, okay? He was my great-great-great-grandfather, all right? And believe it or not. So uh, he came from the valley and settled down in Old Town. And then I came back up this way years later. I don't know. But I never knew him. All right. Died like 1898, if I remember correct. Um, but you know what? It's possible that you don't pass on the faith. And I think that isn't just for people talking about a blood lineage of descendants. But that's what we do. We, as Christians, we are called to go out and to be fruitful and multiply and that is not going out and having lots of, uh, you know, let's say children. I mean, that's good. And, and if you have children, amen, you're blessed for sure. But it's going out and being fruitful with the message of the gospel and proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ and sharing it with that next generation. What a blessing to see little Emily stand up, who's not so little anymore. I say that she's growing up rather quickly. And for her coming out of her lips, professing that she's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ this week. And uh, that's great. You need to pray for her. Pray for her mom. Huh? And support them in those spiritual activities as much as you can. You know, encourage that generation. Well, they were called to remember the days of old. Now, this is directly given to the Jewish people. And I understand that these verses are directed to that nation. But I think we can grab that by example and also apply it to anybody of faith uh, as far as Christians and Jews as well. And remember to ask of those things. I think it's good. And you children that are here, you ask. You know, ask those questions. Uh, sometimes it's amazing what will happen when you're out walking along and something, you know, a, a certain question comes to mind. Well, what do you remember those in those days of old? Well, I think it's important to remember first and foremost where we came from. All right? And... I'm not talking so much about the geographic land, but that's what Egypt represented for the Jews. Remember, they had been in bondage, in slavery, 
Uh, they initially went down into Egypt. They weren't in slavery. Uh, they went and remember uh, the life of Joseph. We studied that last year. And you remember the, the patriarchs Jacob and his uh, sons all came with their families. And eventually in a time of famine, they settled in Egypt. And about 400 years went by from the time they went down to Egypt and settled there. And God made them to prosper when they were in Egypt. By the way, Egypt is a picture of the world. It was the world power of the day. It was the place of civilization. And there they go, and they settled down in Egypt and probably only meant to be there a few years, but ended up being there 400 years. Many generations of Jewish boys and girls that turned into men and women that had their own families, and they continued on doing those things. And eventually, the Egyptians, and they had a pharaoh that wasn't very nice to the Jewish people, and he made them his slaves and they became slaves and they cried out to God and God raised up Moses, right? A deliverer among their own people. And he was going to lead his people out of Egypt. And we know that and much of the account there in the book of Exodus, of course, relates to that, that leaving, that exodus of flight from Egypt. And in Deuteronomy, they're reminded of looking back and remember that you came out of Egypt. My friends, it's good to stop and remember where you came to faith in Christ and what your life could have been like enslaved to sin before you met the Savior. He met you, right? And I look back at my own life. Now, some of you, maybe as a child, you remember those, you became a, a Christian. You, you accepted Christ as your Savior when you were just a child. That's great. Amen. Maybe you didn't have a long life to sin, you know, but I'm sure every single one of us, we came, well, we know, we sin, right? I was 18 years old before I became a Christian, before I trusted Christ as my Savior. Had a lot of opportunity to sin in those previous years prior to that. And I sometimes go back and reflect on those things, and I wonder, where would I be today had I not uh, made that transaction by faith? Had Christ not revealed himself to me? Where would I be? Would, you know, if someone did not tell me the gospel message, where would I be? And I don't know. I can't know that perfectly. I know there's lots of people that don't know the Lord and they're walking around on this earth. They're in our town here. They're all over the place. But you know what? There's a lot of heartache in a lot of lives because people don't know the Lord. I'm so thankful that at a pivotal time in my life, I was introduced to the Savior and he changed my entire life and put me on a different direction. But I remember back to those days in Egypt. And they weren't all that great. Oh, there were some fun things we did. Some, some things that made us laugh. And some things that we did that we thought would make us uh, real happy. And later on caused a lot of heartache. All those things. But uh, really, I look back and I wouldn't trade any of those days in Egypt for even the best of the days in Egypt for the worst day I've had since I've been a Christian. Because God is with me. And he set my life in a new path. Remember your deliverance. Remember where you came from. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says also this, You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Sometimes we look out there and we say, Boy, the world's a hostile place to people, of, uh, of uh, particularly Christians. The world is a hostile place. It doesn't like your message. It doesn't like what you stand for. It doesn't want to hear it. A lot of times it even makes sure that it, it can't hear it. And it pushes back a lot of times. But you know what? I have a little secret because the book tells me that we win in the end. And that no matter what 
comes our way cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And no matter what comes, He will still accomplish His perfect will. And you know what? He can raise up a Pharaoh and He can put down a Pharaoh just as quickly. Because He's God. Here's another verse. You shall remember that you were a slave, a bondman, it says in the Old English, in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. God was reminding Moses that he was a slave at one time in the land of Egypt. I think of that because that verse stood out to John Newton. John Newton was the man who is most famous for writing or writing the, the words of Amazing Grace, the song that we is probably the most popular Christian hymn out there, and most uh, have heard that worldwide. It's been translated, all that. But John Newton was a slave owner, uh, not a slave owner, a ship owner, and he was a captain of a slave ship, and he spent many years in the slave trade, going from uh, Africa all the way up into, you know, across to the West Indies to American colonies, and then back uh, to Great Britain and doing those that circle of the slave trade. And it was while the ship that he commanded was in a great tempest off the coast of Ireland that John Newton grabbed a hold of the ship's Bible and he began to read through it. And uh, he was marvelously converted in those days. He didn't get out of the slave trade right away. It took him a few years to figure out that that was wrong enough to, to get out of it. He eventually did. He became a great voice of abolition where he believed that, uh, as many did at that time in the late 1700s, uh, they needed to get away from slavery and abolish it. And his view of Christianity, and in particular a biblical worldview, was the basis for that. In our history today, that's often left out in our history of everything from civil rights to freedoms that are given to us, that the basis of much of that was a theological basis, a belief that man is created in the image of God and he has inherent value because God ascribes value to him and loves him. And it doesn't matter what color he is or where he comes from or if he's male or female or whatever. Those freedoms and those God-given rights are given to us first in Scripture. And as people got a hold of that, that changed our entire Western civilization. And I fear we're in danger today of going back into areas that we came out of so many years ago now because we're giving up that biblical basis to things. Oh, my friends, stand for the Word of God and remember what it says. You shall remember that you were a bondman, a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And uh, later on, uh, John Newton, as he read through that verse, that was one of his, if I understand correctly, one of his favorite verses. He always remembered back to the time he was, he was a slave to sin. And he later would become uh, a great um, man who would go on to be a pastor and also obviously a songwriter and wrote many hymns actually in his lifetime in that. Remember your deliverance from Egypt. Also, remember His guidance and protection. Sometimes we fail to even recognize that and we forget it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 says this, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. 
You know what it says here? That they were told to remember God's protection, His guidance, His provision. And that's exactly what they had to do. Now, when you remember back to the 40 years in the wilderness, and that's also recorded in those books of Moses, the people that came out of Egypt, that whole generation, by the way, most of them, except for two, well, Moses would be included in that, but Moses, uh, um, he would not enter into the promised land some 40 years into it. But Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two of the older generation that had come out of Egypt that actually trusted God in that whole thing. And Moses said, you're a stiff-necked people, right? And boy, sometimes we can be removed just that much, that far from sin and enslavement and forget the, forget the Lord God, our Redeemer. It's easy to do that. They were commanded to remember back the way God led them. And didn't God lead them well? You read of the, the accounts and some of the Psalms actually bear that out too. The praise to God. Not only did He deliver them in that they went out of Egypt, they crossed over on dry land when the Red Sea parted, and the Egyptian army and Pharaoh's army was swallowed up behind them, and they go into uh, the, the wilderness area of that great desert plain of Arabia and you know southern, uh, uh, south of what is today Israel in that area, and they wander around, and they have to wander around for 40 years. That wasn't God's original plan he knew they would wander around didn't take god by surprise it took them 40 years before they actually a new generation would be raised up that actually believed god would enter allow them to enter into the promised land i believe if if this generation had that generation had gone and just trusted god they would have marched right right through and come right to the jordan river and crossed over and gone into the land that was theirs it was given to them actually it was given to them some over 400 years before that But they didn't trust the Lord. Remember his guidance and protection. Yet in his grace and his mercy, he did not consume them. You know, he could have, God could have just had fire come down from heaven and consume that whole generation. And he could have taken the stones and raised up new people. How do I know that? Because Jesus said that. You know, remember when they were praising him and the disciples wanted the people to be quiet and jesus said if these be silent the rocks and the hills will cry out and then he talked about those who prided themselves as descendants of abraham and he said this because of their lack of faith they were they were looking at the bloodline of abraham as the important line it was the line of faith that really was what was important about abraham and you know what he said god can raise up out of these stones offspring to abraham god could do that But the Lord led them. He led them with a pillar of cloud by day. They didn't even have to get sunburned. Oh, boys, I was up on a roof this week helping somebody shingle a roof. Paul and I up there and all that. And I don't know, Paul, you came out probably better than I did as far as uh, the sun. I I have to keep a hat nowadays, you know. If I don't have a hat on, boy, it starts to glow up there red, all right. Uh, it was nice when we had a little bit of clouds, but boy, in the sunny days, right? You imagine being out in a dry place and God provides a cloud. And you know what? They were probably like all of us. We like a little light at night. Guess what? He, he led them by a pillar of fire by night. That's all recorded in the Bible. He gave them shade and he gave them light. And then they were, you know, where are you going to grow stuff in a desert, right? 
They come from a great agricultural culture of the, uh, uh, you know, the Egyptian uh, Nile Valley, all of that. And now they're put into a driest, one of the driest places on earth. And God brings them down manna from heaven. And they didn't like just manna. Got bored of manna rather quickly. So he gave them quail also. I like that. Meat. <laughs> and and he, he provided that. They didn't have to do anything except go out and pick it up off the ground. That's it. The, the, and, and God is so good to them. And he provided for their shoes that they would not be worn out. I'm not making this stuff up. You read through your, your Bible, all right? And, and that's much of the history of Israel is God's provision for them. And can I tell you today, he's still providing for Israel. And one of the testaments to the truth of God's word is that Israel as a nation exists today and as a people they exist today because they've been tried to be, people have come along, tried to exterminate them over and over again. And they're just, uh, I think today, in, in a place exactly where God wants them, in the land that he gave them. And I believe the Bible bears that out. And it again shows us that thousands of years into this, God's word is still true and it always will be. Remember his guidance and his protection. In my own life, I think of that many times. I look back at the, the, the decisions that, well, I think I made, really God was making them. <laughs> he was directing our, foot, our footsteps because the Bible says he does that. I mean, you think about, how did you get here to church today? You think about that. Now, I know some of you say, well, we, we drove, you know. Got piled into, you know, something like the Guglielmo's van, you know. Pack them in, pack them in, pack them out. And then they come here. It's a miracle every Sunday that you guys get here. Thank you. But you know what? Some of us weren't so packed in vehicles. Some of them maybe walked. I don't know. You might have. But we got here. But that isn't really how you got here. How did you really get here? You know, if we really knew all the details of how the Lord led us to come today and how he, he led us in a way that we would someday, you know, previous to this, maybe if you're a Christian, you've, you came in contact with someone who had the gospel. Might have been a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister. Could have been somebody from this church, somebody else's church. Could have been something on the radio you heard, or something you read somewhere. But the gospel came your way and it was at the very moment and the time that you were needed to, to hear it. And over and over again, his sovereign hand is moving and leading and guiding. I think of that in my own life many times. I enlisted in the U.S. Army. I enlisted before I became a Christian. I enlisted in October of 1987. In July of 1988, I went off to boot camp. And I got saved in May of 1988, just ahead of my enlistment departure. And I remember thinking, did I make a big mistake? I mean, the military is not an easy place to be a Christian, not at all. It's not an easy place for anybody. And there's a lot of foul language. There's a lot of stuff that I had tried to deprogram myself from. There's a lot of alcohol abuse. A lot of, a lot of things like that. And I, I initially, when I went in, I thought, oh, I, I'm telling you, I, I don't think I made a right choice here. But you know what? God had his perfect choice. Just about the time I thought I couldn't go and do it anymore, and, and, I, and I, or I would mess up, and I said, oh, I've really blown it this time. He would come along, and he would restore me, or he would keep me from doing something even, and he did that many, many times, and he brought other Christians my way, and I found out in the military there are all kinds of Christians. They're out there. God continued to bring them my way, and I had probably more witnessing opportunities uh, in the ranks of the, being a, a U.S. Army Cav Scout than ever, you know, uh, th since then. I mean that, because you have that wonderful opportunities. Then I got stationed in Germany, and I thought, oh, no. And uh, 
Inga's from Germany, right? But hey, wonderful, beautiful country, Germany. But I was worried because I knew for the American servicemen, they like to go over there and drink themselves into oblivion. And there wasn't any, any age requirements. And so but a lot of guys in my platoon were looking forward to that. Oh, good, I can go out there and just get drunk every night. Well, that isn't the way to live. <laughs> and I was worried I'd fall back into that. You know what? God kept me from that. In many ways, he kept me from that over and over again. Again, brought Christians my way. Got me involved in a good church that was over there in Germany, ministering to the military community and, and also ministering in the German community. And I'll tell you what, he used that event and that circumstance to, to lead me into praying about my own life, saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? And by the way, that's an important decision that if you are a believer, you've, you've number one, you need to come to Jesus Christ and, and ask him to forgive you of your sins and you need to believe on him. If you do that, you're saved. The Bible declares that. And the Lord says that. It's that transaction. His righteousness is given to you. He takes your sin and puts it on himself. And then he removes it forever, right? But listen, uh, he also wants you to be serving him. That's the second most important decision that you'll ever make. Somewhat of a calling. And I remember I, I, in 1990, in April of 1990, I bowed down. I got on my knees in my, my room in the barracks. And I had my Bible in front of me. And I opened it up. And I was praying a simple prayer. Lord, uh, I was getting off active duty in, in a, not very long from there. And I said, what would you have me to do? And he called me to preach that night. And I, I, made sh- I, I shook my head. I knew he was calling me to preach. He gave me confirmation of that in the Bible, the verses I was reading. Also, in his, the fact his spirit was bearing witness with my spirit. And I knew that, but I was scared to death. I still get scared standing up in front of people. I've gotten maybe more, uh, I should say, better at hiding it. But I still get nervous every Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever I'm called to speak in front of a group. But I remember thinking, God, you got the wrong guy here, that's for sure. But you know what? He led me on that path. I got out of the military uh, in July 20th of 1990. And uh, off active duty, I had a National Guard contract to fulfill the rest of my my term, the next five, seven years or whatever it was, five years, I guess. And um, I remember uh, coming back and, and just a week later after I got back, Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney put a freeze on everybody getting off active duty. Because Desert Storm was getting ready to unfold and Iraq had invaded Kuwait. And everybody on active duty, by one week, they were, their, their enlistment was frozen and they, they remained on active duty. Um, I actually felt like I, maybe I should just go back in and uh, continue, you know, my re enlist and go active duty again. But I was struggling with this whole idea of calling. And I've shared this before. Uh, in that intervening, a month that took between when I was going to start college and I was going to go to the university at, at uh, Prescott, at Umpy. I was all enrolled and ready to go. And uh, I, I was just kind of waiting on the Lord. I knew he had called me to preach. And Gary Gardner called me up one day, as Gary does often, and he said, let's go for a motorcycle ride. So we went for a motorcycle ride. And we came up to Madawaska. Rosettes. And uh, before we went to Rosettes, we stopped, and I met Dick Goopel for the first time. And I listened to Dick Goopel and Gary Gardner share about their heart concerns about the ministry, about the work in the valley here, and all that. And honestly, I felt very little. I felt little because I thought, you know, God, you've called me to preach, and I really haven't shared that much. I had kind of confided a little bit in Gary that I think the Lord was working on me, but I hadn't really said anything public. On the way home, went to Rosettes, and that's... 
I, I go by there even now that it's closed, and I'll tell you, every time I go by Rosette's, I say, thank you, Lord, for a little meal in 1990. I stopped there in uh, August of 1990, and it was sitting across the table from me that, that day, that afternoon. Gary just said, it's not too late to go to MBBI. MBBI started the next day, all right? <laughs> and I did. I went to MBBI. I met my wife at MBBI. Amen. And you guys ought to say amen too, because that's about the best thing that's happened to me. I'll tell you that. Next to my salvation. And my children. And I could just go down the list, and the irony of that, I, except God be in it, I would not be standing here today in front of you at Madawaska Gospel Church had God not led me every step of the way. His guidance. His provision. I can look back... And as you can see, I haven't missed many meals. You know, God is good. He has kept us. He's, we've walked along. And you know what? It's not been my perfect walk. It's not because of that. Oh, been a lot of days I've gone back and said, oh, I blew it now. Or I, th- I thought that, or I said this, or did that. And yet he says, my grace is sufficient. And just go right back to him. He picks you up. He pushes you along. He gets you there. Oh, wow. Well, that was just the introduction. Let's go. <laughs> Remember his provision, right? He says this, and, the Lord, and, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, and that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know, here he takes this whole nation and he, he evacuates them out of Egypt. They're all refugees at this point, you know? And God blesses Israel in such a way that they become very wealthy. And even to this day, I think much of the material blessing that is associated with the Jew is because God is always one who keeps his his word. God covenanted with them and he said, I'll bless them that bless you. I will bless you materially. He blessed them uh, in their prosperity and other things. But by the way, when they turned from him, he also, he wouldn't strive very long. Sometimes a few generations, but he would also punish them or allow them to be punished. And though I am not uh, given that promise, the church is, by the way, was never given the promise of believe the gospel and you'll prosper materially. That was never part of it. That's, that's a heresy that people have brought in. They want your money and send it in, you know, whatever. And I'll send you back a prayer card or something like that. You know, they, they try to do that and get your money. And, and you'll be blessed. You'll make millions out of this. Well, it doesn't work that way. Christ said to his followers, he said, you're going to go out as a sheep among wolves. And they're going to persecute you. They're going to do all those things. But he said, fear not. Fear not. And that's exactly what Christ does. He provides for us, but he provides for us not in, and he does obviously provide in earthly blessings and many material things, but that's just part of the package, you know. The blessings are really to follow. They're eternal. They're heavenly, spiritual blessings. Read the book of Ephesians and it'll clue you in on all that. Remember his provision. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 13, it says, and this is after they were getting ready, well, they were getting ready to go into the land some 40 years into it. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest, and it is, give, is giving you this land. I love that. It's the present tense, giving. And yet they hadn't gone into the land yet to possess it. 
It would actually take a years before they actually possessed most of the land. And they never completely did in obedience what God told them to do. But he said, I'm giving you this land. The great thing about being a Christian is though right now you don't have heaven in front of you like right now. I mean, this is a nice, beautiful place in the spring before the black flies arrive and all that. But you know what? It's not heaven. We're not walking on streets of gold. We're walking on patched holes. You know, most of the time the whole thing being a hole, you know. Someday there is a place the Bible describes as the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Oh, it's a wonderful, beautiful city. And a city like none other we've ever seen or thought about or even could dream about. And I know a few things about that. One of them is that there's a street up there. It's paved with, it says, as it were, gold. What is dirt down here is gold up there. Can you imagine what the rest of it looks like? He's promised to give us that. And he's not only going to give it to us he's giving it to us now now we just have to continue be faithful one of these days son i'm going to be there one of these days and maybe soon remember his provision the book of leviticus says this i will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid i will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land that was a promise he gave Israel also. Someday there's going to be in, in perfect union the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. And the Bible talks about that. A time when there won't be any bad critters out there. No lions and tigers and bears. Nothing like that. It's going to be the lamb lying down with the, the lion, right? We're going to be able to do that. That's a future event. There will be a time when there will be no more sword. The Bible says they will take their swords and they will pound them into plowshares. Wow. Wouldn't that be nice? See, today we have to have those that serve in militaries and in law enforcement and, and, and they're armed and they have to be because we live in a world filled with evil and without someone who's going to confront that evil one way or the other and defend life, which God says is valuable. You know what? He, without that... Satan would win. But even that fails at times, doesn't it? And though it's a noble cause and all those things, yet someday God's going to put that all behind us and there won't be any more need for standing military armies and, and, and navies and all those things. There won't be. Christ will reign with a rule. Uh, it says a rod of iron. And uh, wonderful time. That's not the eternal state. That's what the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation as a thousand year kingdom. It comes after a great time of tribulation. And I believe the scripture talks about that literal kingdom. At the end of that, um, it's the new heaven and new earth. And, and again, that's a whole other study. Maybe I'm throwing out things that are confusing. But just let me tell you this. The Bible, I think, lays out God's plan for the ages very clearly to us. Well, we're to have a memorial, uh, you know, in, in a sense that we, we look back, uh, uh, bring to remembrance certain things, but we're also to bring a memorial before the Lord even. And you know, every time we come to worship the Lord, every time we gather and do so to, you know, commemorate the Lord, and that's what we do. Uh, Paul said this, he said, remember Jesus Christ. I like that. And as we gather and we sing songs, it reminds us of Jesus Christ. 
as we break bread a couple times a month as a group, we remember the Lord's death. The nation of Israel was also commanded to remember the deliverance of God. And they were told to do that. In um, Exodus chapter 12, right after the last of the plagues, before they were finally, well, before they left Egypt, right? Remember, they were commanded to have what we call the Passover meal. And there, and central to that Passover meal was, well, number one, the people had to be gathered around that table, but a lamb had to be killed. It couldn't be just any lamb. It had to be a male lamb. That's important. Not because men are better. No, that's not it. But it's what God said. Male lamb. It had to be one without spot or blemish. It couldn't have its wool falling out. It couldn't have a sore on its uh, skin somewhere. You, and it had to be, in every way, a perfect lamb. Well, that lamb, that innocent animal, and probably one of the most innocent of all animals, would be taken. And it had to be killed in such a way that its blood would be spilled out. It would be slaughtered. And the blood was to be taken, and the Jews were told to take that blood and apply it to the doorposts of your house and over the lintel, the top of it. And the Bible said this, that God was going to go and he was going to visit Egypt, and he was going to kill the firstborn of every creature, including the firstborn of every household. And you know what? He said, if you're under the lamb's blood, if you're in that household that has the blood applied, I will pass over. And that's exactly what happened. And by the way, I think of that because as the angel of death passed over, there were people probably in that house, probably firstborn children who had been there. You think about a firstborn son sitting in a house and he's thinking, God has told us this is going to happen and he's always true to his word. And, and, and yet the past, some, something's going to happen tonight to the firstborn. Maybe I'm going to die. Maybe he's a little nervous. Maybe he's worried. Maybe he's getting caught up on his sins, you know, confessing them before God. I don't know. See, sometimes we live like that, nervous, and think we're going to lose our salvation. But you know what? It didn't depend on him at all. It depended on the place he was at. He was under the blood. And my friends, if you're found in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're under his blood. If you'll trust in him and his death at the cross, where his blood was shed, and his blood was shed for the remission of sins. But you need to go under his blood. And how you do that? By faith. By faith. You say, Lord, I believe that your sacrifice was enough. Lord, I turn from my sin, and I turn to you to live my life in you. And because of that, God will not judge you for your sin, because one has already been judged for your sin. Just like that innocent lamb was judged. It was innocent. Couldn't commit sin, right? That blood of that lamb was spilled. The life went out of that lamb and a picture of the gospel. And the Jews were commanded to continue to do that year after year after year after year until final Passover was fulfilled. And that was the night before Jesus was betrayed and he sat at meat with his, with his disciples and he broke bread. And they were doing that at a Passover meal. And he was the last lamb necessary the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Remember His gracious provision for us. And He says in verse 14, Exodus 12, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Through your generations you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. 
See, it was so important that the Jews were told to do this year after year so that they would remember the deliverance that God had. But sometimes traditions become so strong that we forget why they started in the beginning, right? Lots of people celebrate Christmas and Easter and all that, but probably have no thought to the birth of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. It's a time of family gathering or other things, important things. But let me tell you something. Not all traditions are bad, but don't let tradition become the, the emblem of your salvation, I guess. Go back to the root of it, which is Christ. For the Jews, they looked ahead by faith. For somehow God was going to someday send a lamb who would be the final lamb. The lamb who would take away the sin of the world. And that's why when John the Baptist stood on the, uh, the, the Jordan River, same place that Joshua crossed, right there in the very place. You know what? He says, behold the lamb of God. He was pointing to him. He was the final lamb. Oh, I hope he's your lamb. Hope he's done that. Well, you know, we're to also honor our father and our mother. And... Uh, Um, I'm skipping ahead through some verses. We're lacking time here. But we're to remember back to some things. And by the way, there's lots of other things. As we worship God, we're actually being, how do I put it? We're we're creating a a memorial to Him. Even when you pray. Have you ever thought about that? When you pray that you're, well, you're reminding yourself of God, but He also remembers too. And in the book of Acts, chapter 10, the prayer of Cornelius. I like what it says here. He was a Gentile. And by the way, this is when the gospel goes from the Jews to the Gentiles. Cornelius, this Gentile man. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Here's a man that he didn't have the big picture yet, by the way. He was a God-fearing man, but he didn't really understand all that was necessary for salvation. And remember, Peter goes and tells him the rest, all right? Fills in the details. But he was praying, and his alms and his prayers came up before God as a memorial. What does it say here? God was remembering him. God was so faithful, he sends a man to him. When you pray, and you pray for others, and don't give up praying. Don't give up. You have a son or a daughter that's wayward, or you have a spouse that's not a believer, or a friend at work, or, or whoever. You listen, you've been praying for them. You keep praying. You keep praying. Because your prayers are remembered by God. Very important. There's a lot more that could be said on that, but... The last thing I want to look at is we're also to remember those who are honorable. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, in this section on God and government, okay? We just covered it in our Roman study on uh, Sunday nights. But I, I like what it says here, not the beginning part. It talks about taxes. Nobody likes to hear that. But God says, render unto, uh, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know what? It's perfectly biblical and proper to stop and honor people for their service. And in our holiday calendars here in the United States and Canada and many countries of the world, we have certain days we stop to honor people, right? Labor Day and Memorial Day and Veterans Day, Remembrance Day, those days that we stop to remember Those that have gone before us, those who are currently living, all of that. We pause and we remember. That's perfectly biblical. 
So I hope that this weekend, if you have opportunity to participate or even sit on the sidelines of some of the Memorial Day activities, you do so. First and foremost, remembering Jesus Christ, right? Without him, none of this would be for anything. But also giving honor to those whom honor is due. And we owe a great debt to those who have sacrificed so much so that we could have so much as well. And that, uh, I want to end as a... And I just ask if, uh, if our veterans would stand this morning. Any veterans that are here, if you'd just stand. And I wanted to just, first of all, recognize you and thank you very much for serving. I know some of you have been spouses of veterans, too, that you, you're also, you know, very important. Amen. Before you sit down, I'd like everybody else to stand up, too. Everybody, and we're all going to stand. And I just want to take a moment, and, and I'm going to close off with just, but... Most of the time in this particular holiday and other places and during military funerals, you'll hear the, uh, the bugle sound of taps. And taps originally came into existence as a, uh, a 21-note bugle uh, call to put people to sleep, believe it or not. It was a call, Daniel Butterfield, who was a general in the Civil War, 1862, he uh, wrote very simple what we has come to be called taps, and it is really the sound that was a soldier was to listen to, the last sound of the day. And as those 21 notes ended, there would be three taps on a drum. And it would, that's where taps came from on that. Every military funeral I've ever been to, and uh, in the times where we honor our, our dead that have served in uniform, you hear taps. It's probably the saddest song on earth if I ever heard one and I just have I yesterday the U.S. Air Force Band posted a little video of taps and I just wanted to share that with you here today and Randy Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer today. Our Father, we are so grateful, grateful for the sacrifices made so that we might be able to come here today and remember the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that on this weekend, many would come to saving faith in Christ. Many would find comfort and hope and peace that he brings. And we thank you for the opportunity today even to gather here and honor those that have served and those who have sacrificed more importantly. And we remember that in Jesus' name. Amen.